In case you're not a baseball fan, or you've been living under a rock, and I'm in no way implying that those are the same thing. <laughs> There's been some pretty exciting baseball in the last couple of weeks. The Oakland A's gave it a good run, but they were eliminated in the American League Division playoffs. The Giants advanced to the National League pennant race. The Tigers swept the Yankees, but the Giants are still battling for a chance to go to the World Series. They have to win tonight or they're out of it. There were a couple of games last week, one in the American League playoffs and one, another one in the National League in which there were astoundingly bad calls by the umpires. If you're not a baseball fan, your eyes will glaze over with the details, so I'll just say that in both cases, everyone watching the replays on TV could see that the umpires had blown it. It doesn't seem fair. It isn't fair. But as I've told my kids again and again, all through Little League and softball, bad calls are a part of baseball. Bad calls are a part of baseball, and unfairness is a part of life. And we can know this on one level, but still it doesn't sit well with us, does it? Unfairness and bad calls are the subject of the book of Job which raises some of the most painful and unavoidable questions in the human experience, in particular in the experience of arbitrary suffering, undeserved suffering, bad calls. If we ourselves haven't asked the question, why me, we know someone who has. Just this past week, a woman told me she'd been reading the book of Job and was amazed how much it looks as though it was written for her, for her week last week, in which one thing after another happened, a series of unfortunate events topped off when a guy who believed that aliens were chasing him drove his SUV into the family car, totaling it. The book of Job starts out with a very tough, in fact, I'd call it an appalling premise. Satan, okay, for starters, I don't believe in Satan, and I wish everyone here could have heard Don Emmel's lectures on Satan and hell last spring. But anyway, Satan makes a bet with God. You think your man Job is righteous? You think he's faithful, says Satan? Of course he is. He has everything, property, family, livestock. He's living the sweet life. If you take everything away from him, I bet he'll curse you to your face. God, who is just way too eager to gamble away Job's fortunes, for my taste, bites the bait. But Job is still faithful. So Satan says, okay, impressive, but he still has his health. If I take away his health, that's when you'll see the real Job. And God goes along with this, too. Now let's take a second to remind ourselves that this is not history. Job begins, the book of Job begins, there was once a man in the land of Uz. This is the biblical equivalent to once upon a time. This is a story written by people who are trying to deal with the same questions that Job has, the same questions we have. And at this point in the story, Job has plenty of questions. He can't understand why God has done this to him. 
He's in the place where no pious platitude, no comforting and familiar hymn, no 23rd Psalm, no excuse for God will wash anymore. And then his three friends, and this is definitely a situation where you want to say, with friends like these, who needs enemies? His three friends plop themselves in front of him and argue that obviously Job did something to deserve this. Because that would make sense, right? That was how their worldview worked. They believed bad things happened to you because you did something wrong. But he hadn't. And Job sticks to his guns on this. He didn't do anything to deserve all this. It's a bad call. It just isn't fair. He complains to God. He questions God. He asks for vindication. In today's reading, God finally answers Job. God says, okay, Job, get ready for this. Gird your loins. Man up. Frederick Buechner writes, just the way God cleared his throat almost blasted Job off his feet. And then God turns the tables on Job, saying, now it's my turn to ask the questions. Where were you, God asks, where were you, Job, when I created everything you can and can't see, everything you know about and don't know about? The answer is, of course, nowhere. Job wasn't there. We weren't there. And God asks, who? Who is it that did all this? And Job's answer has to be, not I. And God asks, can you? Can you do what I have done? And the answer is, no, Job cannot. We cannot. Not the kind of answer we want from God when it feels as though the world is falling apart around us. God would flunk the ordination exam on pastoral care. <laughs> Clearly, the book of Job is not about finding comfort in the midst of suffering. It is about human perspective and divine wonder. For two solid chapters, God rants about creation, the sea, the dawn, the earth, eagles, lions, and even the ostrich. And it serves this purpose to remind us that the universe is far bigger, far stranger, and far more mysterious than we can imagine. And we are not in creation's center either. The world is not our oyster. It is God's oyster. Job, says God, you're out of your depth. I like Job because it's honest. The narrator refuses to wrap everything into a tidy wisdom saying that fits into a Hallmark card. This is not a spirituality that can be reduced to the power of positive thinking or a dress for success gospel. The book of Job isn't so much about how to handle life's sufferings as it is about the existential crisis that goes with suffering when we start asking why. Why me? Why did I lose my job, get cancer, or suffer a great injustice? What did I do to deserve this? And why do good people suffer terribly and some real jerks seem to breeze through life untouched by tragedy? The existential questions about suffering, the anxiety of why, 
can be nearly as painful as the cause of suffering. Sometimes people recover from the immediate effects of a serious blow, but don't recover from the assault on their worldview, the worldview that says, I thought the world was safe. I believed God loved me. I supposed that life was fair. Losing our trust that life has meaning, that there is a loving God, and that life is fair makes our suffering worse. Those existential losses can last a lifetime. God answers that Job and his friends were completely wrong about God. God is simply not in the business of rewarding and punishing human beings. It may not be the kind of bomb and Gilead we want when we're hurting. We don't like hearing that there are things that we don't understand. But at least this answer isn't telling us that life is fair when we know it is not, or that we are sinners and deserve everything that happens to us. When I'm suffering, I'd rather hear there are some things you cannot know in this life than you are a sinner and this is a punishment to teach you a lesson. In the videos we watched at our leadership retreat last weekend, in a segment on how unchurched people, uh, the unchurched public develops a negative impression about Christians, we saw a conservative Christian newscaster explain that the reason for the huge earthquake in Haiti a couple of years ago is that Haitian slaves in the 18th century, a couple of hundred years ago, made a pact with the devil to help in their rebellion against the, their slave owners. There's so many things wrong with this statement, it's hard to know where to begin, but clearly this person hadn't read Job. Now, to be fair to this newscaster, there's much in Scripture that implies or puts it right out there that if you behave yourself, nothing bad will happen to you. The book of Job tells us what we already know. This simply isn't true. Bad things happen to good people. Acting in ways that are moral and kind and just is certainly a priority in Scripture because that is the kind of behavior that builds communities of peace and justice. That's the kind of behavior required by the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the kind of behavior to which Jesus calls his disciples. But Job tells us we don't need to be looking over our shoulders for that lightning bolt to strike if we make a mistake. Is there any comfort in Job, the kind we really need when we're in the middle of something awful? Job shows us that God is far larger, more vast than anything Job had imagined. A God, in the words of the opening hymn this morning, who is immortal, invisible, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. We know from other parts of Scripture that this God who is overwhelming and distant in the face of Job's personal concerns is also the one who in Jesus Christ overcomes that distance, claims us in baptism, and takes human struggles into the heart of the Creator. Job suffers, we suffer, and God shares it, understands it, 
and enters into it with us, weeps with us when we weep, holds us when we fall, and loves us throughout our lives and beyond. But in Job, we see a God who created, understands, and cares for the whole shebang, all of creation, the interconnected web of which we are a part. A poem by Michael Coffey called What Job Meant to Say Had He Girded Up His Loins expresses it well. Since you queried, O great one, where I was while you were making such a big deal, expanding space, slamming atoms together, kneading time to sticky dough, doing that song and dance with planets, coaxing corpuscles. I was weaving reeds together into rope and using rope to scale the mountain and stood atop the mountain on tippy toes, reaching up to the stars you playfully put beyond my reach. And then looking out at the sea and the waves you so impressively contained by land as gates and walls, I saw the dolphins pirouette, and sea spray fly, and I picked up a praying mantis, and we prayed as one. So, yes, you crush my pride with sublime brushstrokes, but then I get your number now. You do take delight in us, because who else but we crickets of men and women could answer even your rhetorical questions with such gorgeous, harmonized chirps. Bad calls will always be part of baseball, but Job tells us that God is not like an umpire who can't see the play. God is God, the one who spoke the whole creation into being and then joined in when all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. God is God, who gave us the ability to understand and question and expects us to use that ability. God is God who sees it all, including us, in exquisite detail and delights in it. Please pray with me. O oh God, the world is yours. Help this truth to shape the way we treat it and each other. And when we suffer, help us to find comfort in the ways that you have given us in each other and in trusting your love in Jesus Christ. Amen.